our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Did I do good? Amen. Amen. Well, today we're wrapping up our series that we've been in during these 40 days leading up to Easter. Um, where we've been learning to pray like Jesus. We've been looking at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray when they came to him one day and they asked him, he said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed uh, this series, diving deeper into the Lord's Prayer, something a lot of us are kind of familiar with. Um, So it's been fun for me personally. I hope you've experienced it and enjoyed it. And I hope in the midst of all of it, you've kind of seen two big things. One, the Lord's Prayer was given to us by the Lord as a pattern for our own prayers. Not just that we would just repeat it over and over like it has some kind of magical power in and of itself, but as a pattern helping to teach us what to pray for, how to pray, the different things to pray for in our lives when we're having our personal prayer time and when we're praying together as a church. So that's one, that it's a pattern. But also, I hope you've seen that this pattern is all about connecting us with the person of God, our Heavenly Father. That's what what prayer is. No matter how many sermons you hear on it, no matter how many teachings you you experience, prayer is simply talking with God, our Heavenly Father, who is good and who is great and who wants to have a conversation with us, His children. And so today we're going to be wrapping up the prayer and looking at the final petition that Jesus asked us, His disciples, to pray together before the prayer kind of ends in this explosion of praise and doxology. And so like we've done each week, we're going to have the Lord's Prayer for you on the screen here. And what I want us to do is I want us to say it out loud together. So let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, many of you know, the week before last, Emily and I were on vacation um, down at the beach, and um, didn't Caroline, if you were here last week, didn't she do an awesome job on on her sermon? Uh, She told me uh, to express thanksgiving to y'all. Y'all made her feel so welcomed um, and loved in this place, and and it was a blessing to have her um, come and share her testimony. But last week, the week before last, we were down at the beach, and the place we were staying, it was within walking distance of three different donut shops. And isn't that amazing, right? I didn't even know that. I'd never been there. And so every morning I would just go out and, and they sold out of donuts each day. So like you had to get up early. So I would go and I would eat donuts all week long. It was delicious. You know, it's vacation. You do that. Uh, then when I got home though, I was like, oh man, Easter is two weeks away. Like I got to fit into my Easter outfit. Like I got I to, you know, I got to kind of push through these next two weeks. So I started working out more this week. Uh, I've been eating healthier this week, like crash diet so I can fit in my Easter shirt. 
And uh, everything was going good until Friday night. Emily went to Nashville to be with her mom to celebrate her birthday, her mom's birthday. And I decided to go into Atlanta to the Dogwood Festival at Piedmont Park, something I used to do growing up. And I love art and photography. And I guess in the back of my mind, I also knew that they had like great food there, like all the carnival type food. And I was like, but you know what? I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm going to be good. So, you know, I went there. And as soon as I got there, like the entrance I took, immediately I passed the New Orleans beignet booth where they're making fresh beignets. Nope, I was strong. I was like, nope, not doing that. Not today. And then, you know, Ben and Jerry's had a cart. And I was like, Ben and Jerry's, you know, that's, that's kind of basic. Kept going. And, and then they had like the fried Oreo funnel cake, that kind of place. And I don't know, anybody in here ever had fried Oreos? You know, people are shaking their head. They're delicious, okay? They're delicious. They're popular for a reason. But I was like, you know, that's too heavy. That's going to throw me off track. Not doing it. So keep going. And then the kettle corn booth. And now kettle corn is kind of my weakness, but they were giving out free samples. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to try a sample. Keep going. Don't need to buy any. So I tried like the cinnamon kind, the Cajun kettle corn, the butter kettle. All these, they had like 25 flavors. I said, you know what? Not today. Kept going. Went throughout the festival. Had a good time. Just kind of looking at art. Um, looking at the photography, and then I had to walk back by all those booths on my way home. And so I'm walking by the kettle corn booth, and I'm like, you know what, I'll get a few more samples. You know, this will be my dessert. So I start sampling more, and if Emily was there, she would have been perturbed by now and like said, let's go. But I'm eating these samples, and I'm like, should I get some? Should I not get some? You know, the, the smallest bags they have are this big. And after I'd been there about five minutes getting samples, I was like, can I just walk away right now? Or is that kind of weird? And then I finally just tried the normal kettle corn. And I was like, wow, this is delicious. And I can get some. I can eat it slowly. I can bring it to church, put it out at the Welcome Center on Sunday morning. I don't have to eat it all myself. And so finally I'm standing there and it's a moment of decision. And yeah, I I get the kettle corn, right? And, And you notice there's none here this morning. I ate it all. Within 30 minutes on the drive home, it's, it's just like so addicting. It's so good. But you know how that's how temptation is in our lives. We are constantly tempted. And a lot of times it's by kind of insignificant things like kettle corn and, you know, different stuff. And if you eat a bag of, of kettle corn, you know, once a month or once every three months, it's not a big deal, right? It's insignificant. But you also know that we're not just tempted by insignificant things. We're also tempted by significant things that actually can be a big deal. I mean, this is just the reality that you and I live in. And I mean, you are tempted every day and you've been tempted this week, right? I know some of you, you're tempted in every argument and every conversation to get the final word and to end up on top and to be right. Others of you students, I know you you got tests coming up. Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? Just grab a few answers from this this person, look over here, you know, it's not, not a huge deal. You know, maybe you're tempted when you're at work during the week to kind of get your self-worth from your work and what other people say about you. Maybe you're, you're tempted to gossip or to say, you know what, I'm just gonna have, you know, a few drinks and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop whenever I, I want to. I, I don't know what your temptation is, but the reality is, is that we're all tempted. And it used to be that like, you know, kind of all the temptations just arose from inside of ourselves, it feels like. But now, it's not just the temptations that arise inside of us. It's also constantly pings on our telephone that are tempting us to do different stuff. And I came across this on social media recently. And this is the seven deadly sins 
according to social media. And I, I thought this was actually pretty, pretty accurate, right? So Tinder, if you don't know what Tinder is, I'm not going to explain it. But uh, Tinder tempts you to lust. It's a dating app, kind of. Um, then there's Yelp. I love Yelp. I look up all the restaurants on Yelp. You know, gluttony, right? You're just like, oh, man, I need to eat more of that. I need to get some of that. And then there's Netflix. You're tempted to sloth and to just, like, disconnect from the world for 72 hours to watch your new show that you love. LinkedIn, connected with greed. You know, Facebook, we see everybody's vacations, and we're like, oh, it's nice. To, you can take a vacation. I wish I could. You know, like, we have envy, and then we have pride. All these things, right? We're tempted in all these different ways, not just inside of us, but also outside of us, beyond us. Temptation is a reality of our lives. And now Jesus, he didn't have a smartphone. He lived in a culture and a world that was very different than ours, but even Jesus was tempted and experienced temptation. Right? If you were with us earlier this year in January, we talked specifically about Jesus's temptations in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. And one of the things we see in Jesus' life is, is that ultimately he passed through those temptations. He, he didn't give in to them. He didn't say yes to the tempter. Instead, he lived a completely sinless life so that he could die for us on the cross, so that we could be forgiven for our sins. And so because Jesus was tempted, and yet we know that Jesus was without sin, we can make the distinction that being tempted isn't a sin. It's, it's saying yes to temptation. It's giving into it. It's taking that next step. It's listening to the tempter and obeying him. That's the sin. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus asks his disciples to pray. He says, pray, Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not to into temptation. That's lead us not to give in, into the temptations, the evil inside of us. Lead us not to say yes to those things. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil outside of us, the evil all around us. And if you have a Bible or a study Bible, you might note there um, in, in Luke and in Matthew when this prayer is recorded that there's usually a little asterisk by evil. Because in the Greek, it's a little ambiguous here. It says, deliver us from evil. And it's not clear if, if Jesus meant evil kind of in general or if it was a more specific reference to the evil one. And so sometimes when you hear the Lord's Prayer, you, you'll hear people say, deliver us from the evil one. It's a little ambiguous there. But that's what Jesus commands us to pray. And I know that when we start talking about evil and temptation and the evil one, you know, some of us are kind of like, okay, you know, that, that's kind of that's weird. That's kind of out there. You know, we all kind of have a different, different response to evil and ideas uh, of Satan or the deceiver, the accuser, different, different names in Scripture. And N.T. Wright, a great theologian, he says that there's kind of three approaches a lot of people take. One is the head in the sand approach where, where we just kind of act like there's not evil in this world and we don't really acknowledge it. And we say, you know what, there's, there's a lot of bad things going on, yeah, but if, you know, there was more education and, and people just kind of were taught and raised right, then a lot of this stuff would kind of solve itself and things would be fixed and kind of, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, act like there's no evil in the world. Then there's the other group, which is the devil behind every bush group. 
And, and this is the group that's like, hey, you know what? All they see is the devil and the evil every day, right? Like they're pulling into Aldi. Somebody gets the parking spot. It's like, devil's against me today. And then, you know, fail the test, get a terrible review at work. And they're like, the devil is coming at me. And other people are like, maybe you should study or maybe you should actually do your job and not watch Netflix on the job. You know, like, so it's like sometimes it's a little ambiguous. Some people are like, all they see is evil and the devil. And they're just completely focused on that. And then there's another group. Um, which is kind of the self-righteous group, which is like, you know what? There is evil in the world. There's no evil in me. I don't do anything bad. God has sent me to protect the world of evil and to rid the world of evil. And, and you know, they're kind of doing, doing their self-righteous work. And, you know, all of us aren't necessarily one of these. We're kind of a combination of these. But this is the way a lot of people in Jesus' day approached evil. This is the way a lot of us approach it now. But Jesus approached evil a little bit differently. Jesus approached evil and he acknowledged the reality and the power of evil, the power of darkness in our world. He also acknowledged and taught that there, there is an evil one who is systematically trying to, to deceive us and lead us astray from God's good purposes in our world. And yet, while Jesus was teaching them and while he acknowledged those things, Jesus also knew that through his life, death, and resurrection, that evil did not have the final say in the world. And that he was going to defeat evil, the evil one, death and sin on the cross. And so he taught them with a confidence, not, not that they should have fear, but that he was going to reign victorious. And so he invites us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when we begin to take Jesus' approach to evil, acknowledging the reality of it, acknowledging that there is an evil one, but also acknowledging that Jesus has won the victory over it, it's then that we can have victory over temptation in our own lives. Because you see, if you don't believe in evil, then you're probably going to become a perpetrator of evil without even realizing it. If you don't believe Jesus has won the victory over evil through the cross and his resurrection, then you're probably going to try to just do all of this stuff on your own. If you don't think listening and obeying to every desire and temptation inside of you is going to lead you astray from God, then you'll soon find yourself far from him. But Jesus here is teaching us that we can have victory over temptation in our lives. That's why he asks us, to pray for it. And so that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. I want to talk with you about how to experience the victory in our lives that Jesus has already won for us. And when we look at temptation in our lives and in the world, there, there's kind of a, a pattern to it that's pretty common, and you can see it throughout most of our lives. And, and the pattern is seen um, in James. James, in chapter 1, verse 13, he writes this, he, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's important to remember that. But then he goes on, he says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So here we have these images of growth 
and maturing. And, and James tells us that the, this growth process starts with desire. Desire, and you know how this is. I mean, when you're just going through life, uh, sometimes you have an overwhelming desire for something. Sometimes it's just a very small desire, and you kind of notice it. And now look, some desires inside of us are, are good things. Desire for love, desire for community, a desire to be comforted, a desire to experience peace and joy. Other desires inside of us aren't, aren't good, right? It's like this slide earlier. There's lust. There's envy. There's pride. And so we have these desires inside of us. And when we feel these desires rise up, I mean, we kind of have to make a, a decision. Are, are we going to turn towards God and have him meet this desire or transform this desire? Or are we going to turn somewhere else or to someone else? And it's when we turn away from God, and instead of seeing how God wants to meet this desire in us or transform it, when we turn to someone else or somewhere else, it's then that the deception kicks in. There's desire, and then there's deception. And deception kicks in, and, and I mean, deception is, is as old as the story in Genesis. When Adam and Eve said, you know, does God really know what's best for us? Does he really have what's Best for us in, in, in mind, you know, do we really need to obey him? Maybe let's try this on our own, right? We are so good at deceiving ourselves. I mean, you know what? There is a deceiver, but a lot of times he doesn't have to do any work because we're, we're so good at deceiving ourselves and, and justifying ourselves. And so we think, you know what? I mean, if it feels good, well, then it, it can't be wrong. Or we think, you know what? I, I'm in control. I'll just do a little bit and then I'll stop whenever I want to. We think, you know what, I know I'm married, but my coworker makes me feel more loved than anybody has in the entire world. But we, we think, you know what, I, it's just this one time, I mean, it's just a, a little bit here, a little bit there, and I know God wants me and my family to have a good future, and so it's just a little bit of money, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pay it back one day. I'm not gossiping, I'm just sharing what's going on in other people's lives to the world. I'm a communicator, Right? We are great at deceiving ourselves. And deception is real. And what happens after the deception occurs, we desire, then we're deceived, and then finally, we do it. We do it. We give in to the temptation. We have good desires met by bad things. Or we act on the disordered desires inside of us. And then James says, you know what? We, we've been enticed. Then finally, sin has given birth. And maybe you grew up with a preacher. I don't know if any of you grew up with a preacher who used to tell you like, you know what? Like when you sin, it's going to feel terrible and your life's going to be bad and like you're going to know it. You know, anybody grew up with a preacher like that who like all they talked about was like sin and how awful it's going to make you feel. And guess what? Then one day like you went out and you did something. Maybe, you know, you were 14 and you had your first drink and you're like, that's not that bad. <laughs> right? You're like, I guess the preacher's wrong. Like, that actually is not that bad, right? If sin looked terrible and felt terrible all the time, then there'd be a lot less of it in the world. But sin is deceptive because sin often feels good for a moment, for a season. But sin 
never fully delivers on the promises it makes. So many things in our world promise us peace, but then we find that they don't truly offer lasting peace. So many things in our world promise us love, but they don't offer us unconditional and everlasting love. Things offer us joy, but then after we, we buy more stuff, we have another relationship where we, we, we find that, that it comes up short. And a lot of times at the end of the day, we're, we're left with despair, shame, guilt. And guess what? We have those feelings. We try to have them met by someone other than God or dealt with by someone other than God. And then the cycle continues. The cycle continues. And James, he tells us here that this cycle leads to death. And sometimes that, that, that's physical death because the things that we're taking part in destroy our bodies. Sometimes that's the death of a marriage, the death of a relationship, the death of a friendship, the death of a dream. But left unchecked, James tells us, ultimately that leads to, to a spiritual death, separation from God. That's the bad news, but the good news is that Jesus has broken this cycle. Jesus, through his death on the cross, has broken this cycle and he wants to break the cycle in your life. I mean, that's what we're remembering this, this Holy Week as we remember his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as we remember when he was betrayed and when we remember that he died on the cross for us and that he rose again on Easter. You can't have Easter without the cross and it's on the cross that we find that everything evil had in the world was thrown at Jesus. All the sin in the world was put on Jesus. All of the darkness, Jesus experienced it. And guess what? He came through it victorious. He defeated evil of its power. He drained it at the source. He achieved victory, and he wants to share that victory with us. And yes, you know like I do that, that sin and evil remain in this world and they will remain until he comes in final victory. They remain, but they don't reign. They don't reign and they don't have to reign in our lives. You see, because of his death on the cross, Jesus, he wants to forgive us like we talked about a couple weeks ago. And no matter where you are in this cycle, he offers forgiveness and grace. But Jesus doesn't want to just be your sin manager. He wants to free you from your sin. He wants to transform your life. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you victory. And just like there's a pattern to giving into temptation, there's a pattern to victory as well. And it begins with, with faith in Jesus Christ. That's simply believing and trusting in him, that he was who he said he was, that he came into this world. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose again for us and for our salvation. It's, it's believing in him, accepting that gift 
for ourselves. But then once we've accepted that gift, then the Holy Spirit lives in us. And First John tells us that the one who is in us is greater than the one in the world. And God continues to fill us and we can continue to grow in his power and his presence as we do a few different things. And I wanna share three of those things with you this morning. Because through faith in Jesus Christ and through engaging these different practices, we can have victory in our lives. And the first thing that we, we see is that Jesus wants us to watch and to pray. We, we remember that when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter and the others, you, you know this story that they kept, they kept falling asleep, they kept kind of messing up, and he kept going back to them. And then he tells them this in Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. So he tells us here to watch. And now this isn't like sit back on the beach and watch the sunset. This is like a guard watching at night, watching and waiting for an enemy to infiltrate and to cause havoc and destruction. He's saying here, watch, be on guard. And one of the ways so many of us just simply give into temptation is because we're not even aware that we're giving into temptation or that there's a battle going on around us or inside of us. So he says, watch, be aware, know your weaknesses. Know where you're susceptible. Know the lies that you commonly believe and watch out for them. Because as soon as you think, you know what, I've got this, I'm good, that's when you'll fall. So he says, watch, be aware, but not only watch, pray. Pray which is what we see in the Lord's Prayer. He, he says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because it's as we pray that the Holy Spirit fills us, that God's power strengthens us. And so he invites us to pray. You know, when we're going through the Lord's Prayer, if you're using it as a pattern to pray, here at this point, you can say, God, give me wisdom today in the midst of temptations. Give me strength to overcome temptation. I recognize I can't do it on our own. Pray. Pray that he might help you achieve victory over temptation in your life. He says, watch and pray. And then after that, another tool that that we can use to grow is to engage in Scripture. To engage in Scripture. Now look, I know these aren't fancy or these aren't new, these aren't innovative. These are the basic foundations of the Christian faith, to watch and pray, then to engage in Scripture. I mean, if you look at Jesus' temptations and how he came through them, you find that Satan tried to deceive him with misinterpretations of the Word of God and with different tests, different temptations. But every time Jesus, he not only knew the Scriptures in his head, he also knew them in his heart. And so when lies came at him, he knew the deceptions and he could speak truth over them. And Paul reiterates this point in Ephesians 6 when he's talking about the armor of God. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to list out the different pieces of the armor of God. And the one piece of offensive equipment that he lists is the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the word of God. 
I don't know if you all know Benny Tate over at Rock Springs Church. He has a little book called Bennyisms because um, I, I was at a revival meeting with him for a while. I got his book. And one of them in there, I love it. It says, if the devil won't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And sometimes I think we're so busy that we don't read our Bibles. And so then we're susceptible to lies. We're more easily deceived because we don't know the truth. We don't, we, we don't know exactly which path God wants us to take. We don't know the identity that he's given us. We don't know the promises that he's given us, the gifts that he wants to give us. And so we settle for the gifts of the world. And this morning, I'm teaching these things to you as somebody who's in the trenches with you. We are all susceptible. We're all tempted to be so busy that we don't give time for our relationship with God to watch and pray and to engage in Scripture. So I want to encourage you. Begin finding a way to make that a regular practice. If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles at the Welcome Center. We'd love for you to grab one. If you need help, I say start with Luke. Start with Luke, start reading about Jesus' life this week. If you have a phone, you can download the Bible app. It has great reading plans that will help keep you on track daily. But begin to get engaged in Scripture. And then the third thing is live in community. I don't know if you know how wolves kill prey that are much, much larger than them, but one of the tactics they use is isolation. If they can get a large animal away from its herd, away from other animals that can assist it or to protect it, then it's a lot more vulnerable. The more isolated it is, the more vulnerable it is to attack. And it's the same way in our lives. Defeating temptation, having victory isn't something that God wants us to do on our own. It is a team sport. God wants you to have people in your life that you can be honest with, that you can be real with, that you can say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm struggling here. Now, I need help. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure what decision to make. He wants us to have people around us that can help hold us up. So when we fail and we give into temptation, they can remind us, hey, you know what? God forgives you. God's grace is real for you. People who can pray on our behalf, pray that we have victory, help hold us accountable. God wants those people in our lives. And you know what group gets this more than the church? N-A and A-A, right? They know that victory can't be achieved on your own. We need others around us. And y'all know I, I'm not that old, right? My birthday was recently. You know how old I am? 32. So I'm 32. I've been in ministry for a while, but not that long. I've seen a little bit of life, but not a lot of life. But in my time in ministry, I have witnessed and heard about countless pastors who've stepped down from churches because of addictions, because of affairs, and because of all this other stuff in their lives that went unchecked. And you know, the one factor that shows up in 90% of their stories? Isolation. Isolation. Because when we're doing life on our own, we begin to convince ourselves 
that what we're doing is okay. We begin to deceive ourselves. It's harder to achieve victory. There aren't people around us to hold us up when we're weak, to proclaim God's goodness and his grace over us. We need people in our lives. And if you don't have somebody in your life that you can walk with and that you can be real with, please reach out to me. I would love to be that person. We have leaders in the church who would love to walk with you, to be that friend, that companion on the journey. We need people in our lives because we were created for community. We were created for community with one another. That's what we see in the beginning. And we were also created for community with God. And when we're living in community with other people and we're being real and we're living in community with God, when we're watching and praying and when we're engaging in scripture, when we're feeding that relationship, it's then that instead of death, we can have life. Instead of defeat, we can have victory. And I don't know if you know what happens when you have victory and you have life, but then you have celebration. And that's why the Lord's Prayer ends with this doxology of praise. If you look in your Bibles, this little section is not in most of them. This section that says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This isn't in the Bibles because in the earliest manuscripts, the recordings of Jesus' teaching, we don't have record that he taught his disciples to pray that part. Instead, in the earliest years of the church, churches began adding that to this prayer, saying, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, because they were busting out in celebration, praising God that his kingdom was going to come without end, praising God that he had power over evil and death, praising God that there was victory and that there was life, praising God that he loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us and that the God of the universe wants to talk with us. It led them to celebration and praise. That's how the prayer ends and that's what God wants to experience us to experience in our lives. He wants us to experience praise, celebration, life, victory. He wants us to know him, the God of the universe, and to walk with him and to talk with him. That's the good news, that's what Jesus teaches us in this prayer. And so my hope as we wrap up this series is that when you come to this prayer in church or at a meeting or when you're praying this prayer on your own, that you'll see it with fresh eyes. That you'll see that this is a pattern that's ultimately about a person, a person, God, our Heavenly Father, who loves you, who came for you and who wants a living relationship with you. And we can talk with him whenever we want to. All we have to do is begin. So let's talk with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are mindful of us, that you didn't just set this world in motion and leave us behind, but instead... You created us so that we would know you and know you intimately. And God, we confess this morning that, that we, we stray from you so often. We try to find intimacy in so many other places. We try to find love in so many other places. We, we try to experience peace, but God, apart from you, we know that these things constantly come up short. And so, God, we ask that you would redirect us to you today. That you would forgive us for the times that we've given into temptation and that we've fallen short. 
And God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and that you would give us victory in our lives, victory over sin. God, I know there are people in this room who after this message feel shame, who feel despair, maybe, maybe conviction. God, I, I pray that, that no one in this room would leave here today without knowing that you forgive them. That all they have to do is come to you, confess their sins, and you are faithful and just. God, forgive us. Transform us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might live as your people who are taking part in your mission of redeeming this world. God, may this sermon series not be the end of of walking and talking with you, but may it empower us and give us tools to continue to do so every day of our lives. We thank you for your son, for the cross, and for his resurrection, which we look forward to next weekend. And God, as we wrap everything up, We want to offer to you the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying to you, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.